0: Old Testament reading is from the book of Numbers. The Lord said to Moses, Go up into the mountain of Abiram and see the land that I have given to the people of Israel. When you have seen it, you shall be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was, because you rebelled against my word in the wilderness of Zin, when the congregation quarreled, failing to uphold me as holy at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah of Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation, who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep who have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim for the Lord. And his word, and at his word, they shall go out. And at his word, they shall come in, both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded. He took Joshua and made him stand before Eleazar the priest and the whole congregation. And he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord directed through Moses.
1: The word of the Lord. A reading from the New Testament of the book of Acts. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel, the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king After me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, They asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, Fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. The Word of the Lord.
2: Thanks, this is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. At that time, the Feast of the Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the Column of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me.
3: Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for your promise that your sheep will hear your voice. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, speak to us today through your word, through your spirit. Give us a um, sensitivity uh, an openness and a responsiveness to your voice. We ask this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. When I was uh, coming near uh, the end of uh, college, nearing graduation, uh, my um, good friend and I uh, both had an opportunity to um, do an interview uh, for an internship um, at a theater called Goodman Theater, uh, the Goodman Theater in Chicago. Um, We were both theater people, very into theater. We're super excited uh, to even interview uh, for um, uh, this internship. And so uh, we both uh, drove to Chicago a number of hours from where we went to college and we're excited uh, for that day. Um, I can't remember uh, when the interviews took place. They were separate from one another. Uh, But I remember going in uh, to the Goodman. I remember the interview took place in the auditorium, uh, which again was uh, very exciting. I was familiar with many of the awesome plays that have been done by the Goodman Theater. Um, And I sat down with the person and doing the interview, um, and the first question she asked was, I think, meant to be sort of a softball, kind of an easy question. She said, just tell me something interesting about yourself. Tell me a story about your life, um, and my mind went completely blank. Suddenly, I could think of nothing interesting to myself. I could think of no stories. If you've come here for a while at Church of the Cross, you know I like to share stories about myself. I'm doing it right now, actually, um, uh, but at that moment, I was like... I have no idea. I couldn't think of any story. I can't even remember what I said. Whatever it was, it was not interesting. It was not a good story. And I could see the disappointment um, on her face. Um, I don't remember how the rest of the interview went. I knew it was all lost at that point. Um, If you're familiar with theater people at all, you know you have to be able to tell a good story, right? To be in the theater, you have to be able to make yourself interesting or talk about interesting things about yourself. I do remember later talking with my friend and asking him and saying, Hey, did she begin the interview by saying, you know, tell me something interesting about yourself? And he was like, oh, yeah. I said, what would you talk about? He's like, well, it was kind of weird. came to mind the story about my uh, girlfriend's dog and how this dog has lots of gas and how we've tried to do things to help this flatulent dog. And, and I was like, did she like it? He's like, oh, she loved it. She thought the story was hilarious. She asked me follow-up questions about the dog. Um, and I knew, again, I would not be getting um, that internship. <laughs> so I share that um, because uh, perhaps you've had the experience... Of being asked a question, a question that you should know the answer to, a question that maybe you had been asked before and were ready with an answer, and your mind's just gone blank. Maybe the question was one where you felt like there's too much to say, I don't even know where to start. Or maybe you just thought, I I, I know I should know this answer, but I'm I'm not sure how to give it. I I don't know what to say. And I actually want to think about a question today that is a question that um, for followers of Christ, for those who have committed their life to Jesus, should be an easy question to answer. But I think actually it's one that we often struggle with, that we often sort of pause when we hear this question and say, uh, where do I even begin? How do I answer this? And that question is, what is the gospel? What is the good news? That's what the word gospel um, means. But when we're asked that question, when we consider that question, what is the gospel? Perhaps you've thought about before and you've thought, oh, where do we even start and what's included in the gospel? What's not included in the gospel? I know it's good news. I know we're supposed to be Gospel-centered as a church, we're supposed to be passionate about the gospel, we're supposed to preach the gospel in our words and in our lives, but what does that mean? And So I want to consider that question, and I want to consider today how in our our Acts reading, we're in the book of Acts here in this season of Easter, how we get some insight um, uh, into how to answer that question through Paul. Basically, we have a moment here where the Apostle Paul is preaching the gospel, I believe we can consider Paul's um, sermon here, I'm um, capturing Acts 13, and answer that question. What is the gospel? At least we can get into some answers about what do we talk about when we talk about the good news. Right, this is a, a sermon Paul gave, gave, but probably a summary of a sermon. It's probably not the whole sermon. Uh, which I say that for a couple reasons. One, maybe you read this and you think, that's like a three-minute sermon. Like, that's nice. Why don't we do three-minute sermons? Well, we know Paul actually spoke much longer um, than this. This is a guy who once spoke so long that someone fell asleep and fell out of a window uh, during his preaching. So, um, uh, so he can preach long. But it's also important to know it's a summary because actually, you know, the, uh, Luke, the writer of Acts, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is probably capturing these are the key points. These are the essential things you need to hear in this message, right? This is the heart of the gospel, of the, the good news. I'll give a little context. If you were here last week, we looked at the conversion of um, Saul, now going by uh, Paul as he's on his missionary journeys. Uh, uh, Pastor Joel talked about that. And so this would take place a number of years later. Right? By this time, uh, Paul has become integrated into the the life of um, the, those first um, early Christian uh, disciples he 's faced actually persecution uh, from the Jewish leaders that he was once a part of, who now see him basically you know as a, a traitor basically because he's begun to preach about um, Jesus and eventually he became part of a church in a place called Antioch that was actually the church where people first started calling believers in Jesus Christians um, and so that 's where he was. He was a part of this church, and one time that the leaders and the people of that church were meeting together, they were praying, and they had a sense from the Holy Spirit that they were to set aside some of their people to go out and to preach the gospel, to share about Jesus in other um, places in the world. They send out Barnabas and Paul. And so this is considered part of Paul's first missionary journey and other missionary journeys. This is um, not long after that time that they sent them out. This is actually a little confusing, also in Antioch, but a different Antioch. Apparently it's like Bloomington of the ancient world, right? There are lots of Antiochs um, around. And so this is one of the Antiochs where he is. And we see a pattern that begins in, in Paul's journeys in that he, um, and again, with Barnabas with him, often when they go to a new place, they will first go to the synagogue, right? They begin there, right? And so they're in a new town. They don't know anybody, but they go to the synagogue, right? Among, right? they people, they're Jewish, to share with the Jewish people, right? Those who have gathered together to share about Jesus, right? And then often what happens is after, you know, meeting the synagogue and connecting with Jewish people, they begin to share with the non-Jewish people, with Gentiles, And so that pattern is established um, or seen here and continues on in Paul's missionary journeys. So he's invited to stand up and to preach, and he gets up and he starts to preach. He preaches the gospel. And the first thing we can say when we ask the question, what is the gospel, is we can acknowledge and, and point out and celebrate the gospel is a story, right? It's telling a story. People love stories, right? It's not a surprise that we love stories. That's the way God made us to to love stories. And this is the central story, right? This is the defining story of who we are and what we were made for, right? And Who we're called to be. And when I say, right, that it's a story and we see Paul getting up and starting to share a story, I'm not denying that to preach the gospel, to share the gospel... Right, to acknowledge the gospel is to acknowledge propositional truths. Right? Certainly the gospel is made up of these things are true, but those are things that are true within the context of a story. If you were with us at our Easter Vigil Service, which is um, where um, these um, uh, uh, mobiles first went up, um, and we celebrate um, you know, uh, throughout the Old Testament God's saving Acts, which Paul also um, celebrates here in telling the story. Um, but if you were here, you know that when uh, Pastor Pete uh, got up to, to preach at the Easter Vigil Service, he began by just celebrating the simple and powerful truth, Jesus saves. Right? That is a gospel propositional truth. Jesus saves. Right? But that truth, of course, makes no sense disconnected from a story. Right? If we hear Jesus saves, we ask the question, well, who is Jesus? What is he saved from? Right? Who does he save? How do I receive that salvation? All of that is within a story. And so again, when we think about what does it mean to share the gospel, it means to share a story. I think sometimes we feel overwhelmed or even what does it mean to know the gospel? We may feel like, oh, okay, what are the points? And again, it's good to memorize points and think through the core beliefs, right? We say the Nicene Creed um, each Sunday, that's, you know, rehearsing and acknowledging the truth of the gospel. But it all comes within a story. It's a story, and we should point out, it's a story that we share with others. It's a shared story. I don't just mean that we share and that we tell other people or, or share the story, but I mean that there's commonalities um, with anyone that we talk about the gospel with, we can begin in a place to say, here's what we agree on. Here's what we can acknowledge as being true. Now, Paul does that here. Again, he's in the synagogue. And so he begins to talk about how has God worked among the nation of Israel, right? He tells the story. This is what God has done among our people, among this nation. But in case we just think, well, he's doing that because of course he's in the synagogue, right? This is the, the Jewish people. There's overlap there and connection there. Right? We should note, Right, when we continue in the book of Acts, we see times where Paul preaches to those who don't know the scriptures, who don't know God's work among Israel. And then he actually starts in a different way by connecting and saying, here's what we agree on. Right, Here's a longing that we agree on. Right, Here are common truths. And so as we think about the gospel and the gospel story, we say this is a story actually that has application to anybody. Again, it's the central story of, of any life. And so we, we can begin by thinking through Where do we share uh, commonality, right? How as I I think about the gospel, can I begin in the place? Well, you know this is true, right? Or you've felt this. You've experienced this. And this, again, is what we see modeled masterfully by Paul. Actually, when we consider, right, Paul's conversion, right? Perhaps part of the reason the Lord called him to what he called him is because Paul is so good at building bridges and connecting with people in a variety of places, whether it's the Jewish people whom he knows. He's a Pharisee, right? I mean, he's a trained teacher, but he also does the same thing with the non-Jewish people, right? So, I mean, maybe you've had an experience where you've kind of had to, like, work through conflict uh, with someone, right? And you've had to, uh, um, you know, kind of acknowledge where you have differences. A great place to begin when you're doing that is to start with what do we agree on, right? Maybe we have some differences that we need to work through, but what are actually are commonalities, right? And a similar thing can happen in sharing the gospel. I'm in um, a Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and yes, I know Lewis was mentioned last week. He's sort of everybody's favorite Anglican, so whenever you can mention C.S. Lewis, that's a good thing to do. Uh, but in Mere Christianity, right, C.S. Lewis begins his description of and his teaching about Christianity by starting with the, the first chapter of Mere Christianity is called The Law of Human Nature, and he begins with, what do we see in humanity? What is human nature like? What has what been generally agreed upon um, understandings of what's virtuous and what's right and what's wrong? And again, we can think about that in our own understanding of the gospel. What are the commonalities? Part of knowing the gospel and living the gospel is actually saying, what do I see in our culture today? What do I see in friends who don't know the Lord, who don't believe in the Christian faith? Where do I see commonality? Actually, where do I see similar questions that actually I'm asking as a Christian, similar longings we can build those bridges? This is what Paul does. Now, again... Paul's telling the story of the Lord's work among his people, which begins among the nation of Israel. But he's also building a bridge here, right, with them. So what do we know? What do we agree upon? And notice as he tells the story, again, an abbreviated form of God's work among um, his people. What does he emphasize here right, as he tells that story? And one thing he clearly emphasizes is God's activity, God's initiation. I mean, just look at it, right? and Starting there with verse um, 17. Right, the God of this people of Israel chose our fathers, made the people great. Right, this is God's work. This is what God did. Right, He led up, uh, with an uplifted arm He led them. Right, for forty years He put up with them. Right, God's patience. He destroyed seven nations. He gave them the land. He gave them judges. He gave them Saul. He raised up David right? again and again. This is what God has done for His people. God is the author of salvation. Right, God reaches out. God provides for his people. But even as he acknowledges that, right, along with acknowledging that, he specifically is acknowledging God has provided leaders, right? God's provided everything for his people. But notice how the emphasis is on, you know, these different leaders who have led the nation, how God raised them up, how God led them, right? He doesn't mention specifically Moses and Joshua, but clearly when you talk about the Exodus and you talk about coming into the promised land, Moses and Joshua, right, are going to be in the forefront of the mind. Two um, uh, key leaders that we see spoken about in our Old Testament reading. And he talks about the judges, right? He talks about kings, right? He talks specifically about Saul, um, his namesake, um, as uh, Joel pointed out uh, last week. He, he specifically mentions that he's from the tribe of Benjamin, which is also um, uh, Paul, um, a tribe, and um, acknowledges that, and then he acknowledges David. And so you have this acknowledgement. God works through leaders. He has led his people through leaders, but even as we see that, what do we see about these leaders? As you hear about those people, right? If we know anything about the story of God's work among the nation of Israel, we know these are limited leaders. They're actually faulty leaders. Wonderful, admirable, many of them, but with significant faults. Right? Even Moses, actually, in our, our reading, and we see from our numbers reading, even Moses, right, right, perhaps the greatest leader the nation ever knew, right, had faults. right? He's actually prevented from going into the promised land. Because of the time where he rebelled against the Lord. That's what the Lord says to Moses, right? Joshua actually had times where he made mistakes, right? The judges had all sorts of problems. Saul, right, is well known for just how terribly things fail at the end of his kingship. That the Lord actually regrets that Saul became king. And David, who's a man after God's own heart and is celebrated as that, we also know his faults. We know his sins, right? They're very clear in the scriptures. It's actually an amazing thing about our scriptures how all the great heroes of the scriptures, actually, it's very honest about their faults and their shortcomings and their limitations. And so even as Paul is emphasizing, God is faithful. God has provided for his people. He's also acknowledging people are faulty, right? They're limited. And even the best leaders that the Lord raised up ultimately had times of failure. So do you see, right, in this story, it's a story of God's goodness, and it's a story of our need, of our limitations. Right, to share the story of the gospel, to live in the story of the gospel, again, is to acknowledge again and again God is faithful. He is patient. He is loving towards his people. And again and again, his people fail. Right, We're, we're limited. Not just in sinfulness, but limited in that we die. Right, we, we end our times. And more leaders need to be lifted up. And again, as we think about sharing the gospel and living in the gospel, that simple truth. God's faithfulness, our need. We can ask the question as we talk with others about the gospel. Where do you know unmet needs? Where do you know deep longings? And we see that. So we see that message of the gospel, that, that story, then leading up to the fulfillment of Jesus. And so the gospel is a story. It's a shared story. But it is a story that clearly and completely is fulfilled in Jesus and his coming and in his ministry. Right? He builds up to that. Right? He builds up to it in that we see, right, the failure of different leaders. We see the promise um, that is made to David, right? And then he emphasizes John the Baptist. Well, why does he do that? Well, probably it's very likely that even in this area, in the synagogue, people knew John the Baptist. He was like a celebrity. And so for uh, Paul to talk about John the Baptist, they're thinking, well, John the Baptist, we know him. He was righteous, right? He was an incredible leader, put to death, right? In a tragic, horrible way. But Paul's reminding them, John the Baptist actually said that the one coming, he was not even worthy to untie his shoes, That's how great the one coming is. And so Jesus is the fulfillment. And that's the clear message. And what then does he say about Jesus? He gets to the fulfillment of the story in Jesus Christ. What does he emphasize? Well, first he emphasizes that Jesus is the fulfillment of the scriptures. The scriptures which tell the story point forward to Jesus. Jesus on Easter morning. I talked about this a few Sundays ago on Easter Sunday. He said this to his disciples after his resurrection. He said, these, there are, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law and the prophets and the psalms must be fulfilled. And then it tells us that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Right? What Paul is doing here is what Jesus did on Easter Sunday. He's opening their minds to see, look how Jesus is the fulfillment of these scriptures. Look how Jesus is the fulfillment of the story. So he emphasizes that. He emphasizes certain scriptures right that point forward to Jesus. He actually emphasizes that the um, leaders, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, when they condemned Jesus to death, were actually fulfilling scripture. Right? says so they didn't realize that in condemning, condemning Jesus, they're fulfilling scripture. Which again, he's already set up, leaders fail. right? They do wrong things. We've seen that. And so it's no surprise that the religious leaders actually failed and didn't see Jesus for who he was and who he is. Right? But there's still an opportunity. There's an opportunity to receive Jesus to so put your faith in him. He emphasizes that Jesus is the son. Speaking about David and David being told that a Messiah would come from you. He's referencing where the Lord said to David about the coming Messiah. He, I will be a father to him and he will be my son. And right? so that's, that's scripture, right? And then we have Psalm two. You are my son today. I have begotten you. But in speaking of Jesus coming as the son as the fulfillment of scripture. Look as well at how much Paul emphasizes the death and resurrection of Jesus. How central that is. That doesn't mean the teachings of Jesus aren't important, the miracles of Jesus, his service to the poor, right? His temptations, so much are captured in the Gospels that we have and we love. But again, the focus here in Paul's message is Jesus died and he rose again. And again, just, just look how much um, uh, that's emphasized. Um, verse 27, the end, he fulfilled that they fulfilled them by condemning him. The next verse, he was executed. In the next verse, they took him down from the tree. And this is important, right? For Jewish people, they would probably remember that in Deuteronomy, it talks about anyone hung on a tree is cursed by God. And so Paul's making clear, yes, he was hung on a tree because he bore the curse that we deserve upon himself. And then the emphasis on the resurrection, God raised him from the dead. Verse 33, raising Jesus. Verse 34, he raised him from the dead. Verse 37, he raised up and did not see corruption. Again, in this summary of the message of Paul, again and again, he died, right, for us. He took the curse upon himself, and he rose again. That simple and powerful truth central to the gospel. I think that's so important, right? Right? For those of you that are um, confirmation kids, I think maybe we have some kids that are in confirmation right now. Just know you're going to have an interview uh, with me, um, and I'm going to ask you some questions that this sermon will help you with. Um, and so get ready for the question of what is the gospel. And I'm telling you right now, talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus, okay? So cheating, uh, cheater notes um, there for you, um, but not cheating, of course. Right, But that is central. And so, right, when we think about, well, what is the gospel? It's trusting God and you may have eternal life. Absolutely. But separate that from the death and resurrection of Jesus, and you've lost the gospel. Is the gospel being reconciled to one another and living in community? Absolutely. Right? That's part of the gospel. But you separate that from the death and resurrection of Jesus, and suddenly we're trying to reconcile in our own strength and our own abilities, which we're going to fail in. Right? Reconciliation with one another flows from reconciliation with Jesus and from his forgiving work of us that we can then offer forgiveness to one another. Right, Serving the poor, social justice, absolutely that is part of the gospel. But you separate it from the death and resurrection of Jesus and, and it, it loses its gospel focus. It's still good to serve the poor, right? but we serve the least of these. We care about justice because we have experienced the mercy of God and we share that. Right? We are empowered in our ministry of justice through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So the gospel is what God has done for us. Again, we need to learn the teachings of Jesus, the model of Jesus. But if Jesus is just an example for us that we try as hard as we can to follow, we're in big trouble because we're not going to be able to do it. We need a Savior, right? Yes, we need a model. We need a teacher. But we need a Savior. And that is the good and beautiful news, right, the gospel. And so Paul brings that home, right? He has died for you. He has risen again. And he is available. If you go back to to the story that Paul begins with, Again, he talks about leaders, but interestingly enough, he talks a lot about time. Three different places. He mentions the 40 years and then the um, 450 years and then the 40 years again. And I just wonder if part of that is in telling the stories, Paul is making clear, God does things in his timing, right? Yes, it was 40 years of wilderness, but God was working in that, right? Yes, it was a long, long time to wait before they promised in the, before they landed in the promised land, but God was working in that. Yes, right? Saul, a, a failed king, was king for actually 40 years, but God was still at work. And so there's a sense in which there's been waiting, right? There's been patience, but the time has built up to this moment. And so I think that emphasis on time then makes it very clear, but now is the time of salvation. Now Jesus has risen from the dead and he is there for you to receive mercy from and to receive new life from. Now is the time. And so the gospel message is a historical message and it is a very present message. It is the message that applies right now to anyone because Jesus is alive. He's risen. When I uh, was um, uh, younger, my children uh, were younger. I used to tell them stories um, at night. Um, not every night, but often before they went to bed. And these were like serial stories. Like they went on uh, for a long time because I would need time then the next you know, day to figure out, okay, what happens next in this story? And one thing I learned, if the story was ever kind of like slowing down and starting to not get very interesting, um, uh, what I would do is I would just put my children into the story. Like that always made the story more interesting. So our stories always had talking animals in them and these talking animals would be some adventure. And then suddenly this group of children show up and it's the rock children, right? And suddenly my kids were like, what? Like we're in the story? Like now it's a really cool story, <laughs> right? And that's basically the gospel message that we share with people is actually this incredible story, you're in it, right? You're in the story because Jesus is alive and he rose and he reigns and you're invited to receive this you're compelled, right, by the Lord, invited, right, and, and, and urged to come and to receive this good news. So my assignment uh, for you, um, uh, you can have many assignments, but the one I want to give, someone I want to just ask you to consider, how do I need to preach this gospel message to myself? What as I hear this, as I, I hear Paul's words, what do I hear and I say, man, I need that. I, I, I forgot maybe that that truth of the gospel. I've I'm not living in accordance with that. And again, I'm not saying that we don't preach the gospel to others, right? We do, but we can only share and preach what we ourselves have heard and received. So again, I encourage you, what perhaps in this is a word for yourself, right? Maybe that you need to receive and sort of preach to yourself and then ask the Lord to give you opportunities to share that with others. Let's pray for that. But we do thank you. We thank you for the boldness of the Apostle Paul in sharing this. We thank you, Lord, for the freedom That we have been given in Jesus. And Lord, I do pray for each one of us, Lord, whether we've known the gospel a long time or whether we're relatively new to it, whether we're still even just debating if we believe this or not, that our our hearts would be opened. You would prompt us, Lord, in, in what we need to preach to ourselves, what perhaps we need to remind ourselves of in this beautiful gospel truth. And Lord, I do pray that you would give us opportunities to share that good news with others in our words, in our deeds. Or through our prayers, through our generosity, may we be livers of the gospel. And we ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.